One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen Hello, and screen welcome time. to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's seven, and Kenny, he's four. And I have three kids, Tony is 12, and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, aren't they? So adorable. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, Because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Have your boys done anything particularly cute this week? Well, in the finish to a bit of sad news, Kenny just had COVID. And we thankfully today just got our second consecutive negative test. So we're very happy about that. He has obviously been taking more tests lately than he had been for a while. And his reaction to them has gotten terrible because I was giving one to him and he jerked his head and the q-tip made me feel like I had seriously poked his brain so he freaked out because of course it hurt and now every time we have to give him a test it's like this huge ordeal and it's one of those things that you just wish your children could have adult reasoning to comprehend because it doesn't matter if I say just don't jerk your head this that way this time and it won't happen it won't be bad in his mind now they're all going to be that awful and it's just so sad (laughs) I'm sorry is this like a two-parent job where you somebody's got to like hold him yeah at this point it is which is really sad but You know, we got to be safe. So we're doing what we need to do. But I have fun Kenny news too. So I'm kind of sneaking in a twofer. I sent you a text about it because I was so excited. But we did get Kenny's drum practice pad and drumsticks. (laughs) And he has his first drum lesson tonight. And I am so excited. I really have a good feeling about this. I feel like my little bruiser is going to take to the drums like a fish to water. So I can't wait. Um, picturing animal from the Muppets. That is uh, pretty accurate. (laughs) We're growing out his hair, so he's not quite there yet, but I think he could get there. I can't wait for the videos. (laughs) All right. Tell me about your kids. Okay. I love hand-me-downs because deep inside my heart, I'm a very thrifty person. And I also don't like to buy unnecessary stuff to clutter up our planet. So sad day this week when Tony realized that he had outgrown his rollerblades that he hasn't worn all summer so it's fine and then they're like an adjustable kind so we just like blip 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 boop 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 made them a size four instead of a size eight and they fit Nathan oh really he had declined to participate in the rollerblade craze of Fremont Avenue in 2021 when all the kids on the block got rollerblades um but now he's totally on board and thinks it's fun that's so cute 
It does Libby yeah. have any interest? Does she mind that her brother gets the rollerblades or? She has her own from last year. Like we would have bought them for Nate, but he just didn't want them. And now you don't have to. That's awesome. Yeah. Can uh, Tony fit into Jeremy's yet? He probably can. I don't know that we need to be buying new ones for yeah. him because he's not very enthusiastic about it, but. Yeah, he and I can wear the same size shoe right now, so he could definitely fit into like a adult discard pair of rollerblades. You know how old timey roller skates slash my very first pair of Fisher Price roller skates just like were straps that fit over your shoes. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see an argument still being made for that. Like, why do we need a whole separate thing? Can't we just like strap the wheels to our shoes so we don't have to buy a whole separate boot? Yeah, I like that. And those are adjustable too. Yeah, exactly. Those kids who just don't stop growing. Well, let's talk about screen time in the news. Okay, so we read an article from USA Today written by Kelly Lawler titled Why Bluey is the animated show parents like even more than kids. I have not watched Bluey ever, but I did enjoy this article. Have you watched Bluey? Deborah, I feel really bad, and this is totally on me, because as this headline implies, <laughs> the show is kind of in our wheelhouse, but I thought that I was seeing so much press about it, and it was getting so much love that it didn't really need us to cover it, so yeah. I kind of purposefully didn't bring it up, but now I feel bad because you've never experienced Bluey. That that was going to be my question. Like with your kids being as old as they are, I say that like they're grandparents, but you know, they're out of the preschool realm. I was wondering what your experience of it was. Was this the first time you had even heard of Bluey or were you aware of it as existing even as you weren't watching it? I've heard of it. And then back like around the holiday time, my friend Amy suggested that we review Bluey and I kind of didn't know what it was at the time and I confused it with Blue's Clues oh <laughs> because like the host from Blue's Clues the original one was like coming back and she told me about this and I was like well that show's not super new so maybe it's not right for our podcast and I didn't realize they were like two separate shows so sorry Amy <laughs> friend of the pod my bad but this article made me want to watch it. Like, they had me at seven-minute episode. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's, like, the perfect transition time for a preschooler. It really is. It has been a hit in our family. I think my kids aren't Bluey fans to the degree that a lot of kids are. But I definitely know that there are a ton of adults that I follow on Twitter that have been just, like, waiting on pins and needles for this third season to come out in the U.S., because it is an Australian show and it has been out there. So it's certainly just been an issue of streaming rights or whatever, or Disney just deciding to be a pill about it. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. I would like to, I don't think we should, re, I, we, I don't know. I don't think we need to review it for the reasons you already said, but I do want to check it out. Um, it sounds a little bit like Daniel Tiger. This article author was saying that it gives tools for real life without being cloying or moralistic and it's just like a cute family of Australian dogs like living life I would say you have a reserve of goodwill towards Daniel Tiger which I totally understand <laughs> but Daniel Tiger is cloying and moralistic but it's sweet and that's kind of the point 
Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. the author was very much right about Bluey. It doesn't feel like it's pandering to the kids. And it doesn't feel like it's something you're tolerating as an adult. The one, I have minor quibbles with Bluey. I really enjoy it as a show. I recognize that as an example of the preschool genre, it is A++++++. Nice. But the whole <laughs> conceit of this show is that Bluey and her little sister, their parents, primarily their dad, but also their mom, are like super involved in play with them constantly. Like, oh, maybe yeah, you... every other episode is structured around some form of elaborate game they are playing with their parents. Right. And I'm going to say this right loud into my microphone and not in my quiet <laughs> voice that you don't always have to play with your kids. No, I, I got quiet. Yeah, you can't help <laughs> it because it is kind of a, a no-no. Today's parenting is all about engaging in elaborate play with your kids and always being available to your kids to encourage these moments of imagination. I think it has contributed to a lot of parents not having a healthy sense of boundaries I'm including myself in that group (laughs) right and Bluey is not great at encouraging those boundaries but at the same time it's a kids show so it cannot be all things to all people it is still great and we have definitely incorporated more than a few Blueyisms into our everyday life Uh, you know that game you play with a balloon where you try to keep it from hitting the floor classic Mm -hmm. childhood game And Bluey, they call it Keepy Uppy. There's a whole episode about it. And so now, of course, we call it Keepy Uppy in the house, too. I didn't really need that game to have a name before, but now it has the perfect name. Yeah, that's cute. And there is a moment in the show in which the dad is playing bongos on Bluey's butt. And he calls them the butt bongos. So you're just like jamming out. And, you know, it's a funny moment of play. So we have definitely incorporated the butt bongos and its extension instrument, the drum tum, into our house. Kevin, when he sees uh, Kenny playing the drum tum on my stomach, he thinks that I'll be insulted like Kenny is saying I'm fat or I have a fat stomach and I'm like no 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 Kevin it's a it's a thing it's fine it's the drum tum it's all right (laughs) (laughs) we are definitely going to watch the third season of Bluey even though Jay is getting a little bit too old for it uh listeners if you somehow haven't been exposed to Bluey can't recommend it more highly Disney plus watch it (laughs) So I read this Variety article about young Hollywood and the top young Hollywood stars. And you know how we do our gritty HBO reboot casting at the end of every episode and sometimes we struggle to find actors Mm -hmm. in like the younger category for these more gritty roles. So I was reading this list trying to educate myself slash remind myself of the names of some of these younger actors and I came to the terrifying realization that a startling number of them came up through YouTube and TikTok. Oh. And that doesn't delegitimize their success, but it did emphasize how my idea of success in acting is like based on a previous 
generational model. <laughs> so like right. I couldn't I couldn't even tell you who these kids were and they're making insane amount of money. They're making lots of creative products and I just had no idea. It was a sad moment because I think I realized that I just had to let it pass. Like I, I, I wasn't sure how invested I was in uh, making a conscious effort to keep my eye on teen TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I have no idea. And really no interest. Yeah. Part of me was like, am I obligated to have an interest because of what we do? And then I just had to decide that, no, it was okay for us to be outside observers to that space. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Should we tackle our our real topic, the real reason we're here today? <laughs> let's do it. Okay. Today we are talking about Pixar's latest release, Lightyear. It was released in theaters on June 17th, but you know we didn't see it in theaters because we rarely do that these days. Uh, It just became available to stream on Disney Plus on August 3rd, so that is how we both watched it. It is rated PG with a runtime of 1 hour 40 minutes. It was directed by Angus McLean, a longtime Pixar animator who had previously had co-directing duties on Finding Dory, which is the sequel to Finding Nemo. I feel like maybe that came out six years ago. Does that sound right? I didn't look it up. That does. That's just my guess. The screenplay is credited both to Angus McLean and Jason Headley. Headley also wrote the previous Pixar flop, Onward, uh, which came out right at the beginning of the pandemic and People have said maybe it was just a casualty of theaters shutting down and not really being used to this whole streaming model, but it was maybe also just a bad movie. So Lightyear had a domestic opening weekend box office gross of $50,577,000, pretty much $578,000, which sounds like a lot of money to you and me. But given how much the movie cost and what expectations were for a high-profile Disney-slash-Pixar release in theaters in the summer, it was really, really disappointing. For comparison, Toy Story 4's opening domestic gross was $120,908,000, so... That's a big difference. Lightyear is, I guess, technically an extension of the Toy Story franchise, so you have to imagine they had maybe similar numbers in mind. As far as summarizing the movie goes, the opening title card gives its backstory as clearly as possible, so I'm just going to quote that. In 1995, Andy got a toy. That toy was based on a movie. This is that movie. So Lightyear tells the story... Sorry, End quote. <laughs> Lightyear tells the story of Space Ranger Buzz Lightyear, not to be confused with Buzz Lightyear the toy from, trivi- from previous Toy Story movies, as he attempts to harness interstellar travel to save his stranded crewmates on an inhospitable planet. We picked it because in our last episode, Deborah lamented that she hadn't seen many summer blockbusters this year and mentioned that Lightyear was on her must-watch list. We knew this movie was not well-received, and we wanted to see it for ourselves and to figure out if it was really as bad as we'd heard. I checked Rotten Tomatoes, and it actually has a 75% fresh rating, so I think this will be a really interesting one to get into. Yeah, let's talk about our general thoughts. Um, In terms of concept and plot, 
what's your history with the Toy Story franchise? Were you excited about this extension of the universe? I do not love Toy Story. And as a result, I haven't really introduced my kids to it all that much. It's just not, it's not for me. I know it's for a lot of people and it is beloved, but for whatever reason, it just never struck more than a slight chord with me. How about you? I have seen the first one. I think it just came out at a time when we were not into kids movies. And then by the time Toy Story 4 came out, it was way past time. Like I would, I was unable to catch up. Right. Um, Cause I haven't, I have not watched the second, third or fourth toy story movies i mean i feel like i know the characters because they're sort of in our culture now Mm -hmm. as a intellectual property but i did not know that i needed this movie or wanted this movie it also came out at a weird moment in our lives like if you think about the mid 90s we were in our late tweens early teens Mm -hmm. And this movie came out and it was touted as the first full-length theatrically released computer animated movie, right? And that was the big deal about it. Right. And I remember even to my 12, 13-year-old self that I thought it looked kind of crappy. Like, (laughs) you could see... The animation? Yeah, you could see the computery animatedness of it. I thought the humans looked super weird. So I was... I was put off from the beginning because I was too young to recognize it as an important technological achievement and too old to really respond to the storyline. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So in terms of Lightyear, did you like it? Just for a top level note, no, not really. How about you? Oh, shoot. <laughs> I did like it. I well, and I went into it with low expectations, which mm-hmm. always makes me like something more than I think I'm going to. And that's a healthy way to go into it as a grown up watching entertainment for children. And a part of it was I felt like, oh, I don't have the background. I'm not going to enjoy this. But like the concept where it's the movie about the action figure that Andy plays with and you don't really have to know Toy Story, the Toy Story universe. I really liked that and felt like relief, I guess, that I was going to be able to enjoy it. So that leads me to, did did this even belong in the Toy Story canon? Could Buzz, Space Ranger Buzz, have been any generic space explorer? See, I feel like this is the way in which you were approaching it. So you tell me, like, did you feel any... Did you feel you were lacking anything in not having a significant grounding in the Toy Story universe? No, I felt like I didn't. Well, it made me, I mean, it made me wonder, like, what's the history of Toy Story? And like, when was this script begun? Like, has this been sitting at Pixar archives or their to-do list for a really long time? Um, I'm guessing it has. I actually don't know the answer to that question. I think the problem for me, if we look at it as a standalone separate from the Toy Story canon, we have a ton of space adventure movies. And I'm just not sure we needed another one or that this added a lot to the genre to justify it. 
I don't feel like it deepened or added anything to the Toy Story franchise, and I don't feel like it added anything particularly new or interesting to the space adventure canon. Huh, that's interesting. I I guess I like space movies maybe more than you do, and I did enjoy the questions about like relativity and the space-time continuum and like the conundrum of time travel and traveling at the speed of light. I was totally entertained by that aspect of the movie. You're right, and I just kind of glossed over that. Can we do a spoiler alert? Sure. Spoilers, guys, so if you don't want to hear it, maybe fast forward a minute or two. So the big bad at the end of the movie ends up being a future version of Buzz himself. And that is where we get into all the time traveliness of it. It didn't really come up earlier in the movie, despite the fact that they were dealing with interstellar travel and time was obviously passing. But the first time they dove into like the quote unquote science behind how all this work was working was when Buzz was confronting an older version of himself. And the whole time that confrontation was going on, I couldn't help thinking of, and once I got it in my head, I couldn't get it out, that sequence in the movie Up, also a Pixar property, Mm -hmm. in which they go to the base of like an old-timey explorer. And I apologize, I don't remember his name. He was a man that had been idolized by the main character forever because he was a famous explorer. And they think he's going to help them in their quest. And then there's a surprising turn and he ends up being the villain and trying to thwart them. And I had that thought with Buzz fighting his older self because it was the exact same turn. Like he thinks this old man is going to help him. Mm. And the old man is revealed to actually be the villain of the piece. And it felt like I was covering all of those same beats, which made it a little bit dull for me. Ah, that makes sense. I was not thinking of that at all. So to me, it felt more original. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe your husband doesn't make you watch these older older Pixar movies that you actually don't like, which Kevin is a huge (laughs) fan of Up and WALL-E, and I do not care for those movies, but I have seen them more times than I would like to have seen them. (laughs) Oh, I'll agree with Kevin on WALL-E. I've seen that a bunch, and I like that one. Oh, so... I think you went into this movie with some more like pre-judgment than I did. So what had you heard about this in advance? So I think I can easily split this into two categories, right? You had like two prevailing media narratives that I had seen about Lightyear. And neither were positive. So the first was Pixar has lost touch with what audience want. Who was clamoring for this story? The connection to the original Toy Story franchise is too tenuous and complicated. So that was like the first bubble of things that I had heard. Mm -hmm. Because people were really struggling to explain how this movie was not about Buzz Lightyear the toy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the coverage was not about the movie or its merits. It was about like, how do we explain that this is a quote unquote real universe in which Buzz Lightyear the person exists? Right. So that took up a lot of ink. And then there was the second major media narrative, which was the Pixar slash Disney has gone woke narrative, which has been dogging Disney a lot lately outside of Lightyear in other properties. Um, 
in other business practices. But essentially, there is a blip of a storyline about a same-sex marriage in Lightyear, and it just set off the the people who have been accusing Disney of this for a long time. So then there was a lot of ink about that. Right. So I kind of wanted to see which criticism I thought was more justified. Not justified, mm, obvious upon watching it. Yeah. So what did you, what was your conclusion? I definitely fell into the camp of like, who wanted this? Who wanted this story? <laughs> but I, I felt that with a lot of the newer Pixar stories, I did think it was kind of a miscalculation. Like, why not just tell a new story? Mm-hmm. Right. As far as the controversy, ginned up controversy over the same sex couple, seriously, it was like two seconds with maybe like two mentions elsewhere in the movie. And it just speaks to our current national need to attack one another on even the flimsiest of pretenses. Yeah, I thought it was not really a big deal at all. And it, I mean, it served the plot line of like, thank you, Pixar, for delving into like existential questions of like regret and life choices. And I thought this was just a sweet one. Like if Alicia Hawthorne had not been stuck on this planet, she never would have fallen in love and she never would have had the family that she did and who cares what that family looks like exactly right yeah I mean they were living on a planet that was peopled by sentient vines so like (laughs) you really want to turn things around like Alicia has a fulfilling life and relationship with a sentient vine (laughs) (laughs) there were a couple like little quibbles I had with like the larger Toy Story continuity One was, had this movie come out in 1995, you're right, there would never have been a same-sex couple featured at all. So as they are claiming that this was a movie that the child Andy watched as a kid, that's just a little little quibble there. Also, another spoiler alert, because the main villain in the movie, General Zerg, turns out to be this older version of Buzz himself, Andy never brings that up in his play within the larger Pixar franchise that has never been alluded to. And I find it hard to believe that toy companies in the 90s wouldn't have released a mech suit that opened with a buzz inside. Come on. Good point. They're leaving money on the table. I think I might be wrong about this script languishing at Pixar for a couple of decades. Yeah. yeah, it's new. Let's talk a little bit about the cast and the characters. Was there anybody that you particularly loved or hated? I loved the robot animal sidekick. Disney has always been reliably good at the animal sidekick, and they're just as good at it when that animal sidekick happens to be a robot. Socks was A+, plus, my favorite character. How about you? I liked Socks a lot. Well, I watched this after my kids had seen it, and Nate was like, have you gotten to the socks part yet? Ooh, you're really going to love socks. Is socks in it yet? I liked socks. And then I also liked future socks who had like part of his face, like scraped. Like Terminator style. Yeah, that was (laughs) good detail. Deborah, before you became a dog person, I imagine that socks would be like your ideal pet. Right. Doesn't shed. You don't have to feed it or clean up after it. (laughs) But it's got like a nice personality. Yeah. You can satisfy (laughs) your children who are clamoring for a pet with very minimal effort. 
Mm-hmm. I liked the actors that played Alicia Hawthorne and the daughter, Izzy Hawthorne, Uzo Aduba and Kiki Palmer. I thought they were both really good. Mm-hmm. No names. What did you think of Captain America as Buzz Lightyear? I thought he was fine. He didn't like, I didn't feel like I really loved that character or hated the character it was very like a a moderate feelings towards him how about you you would be buying the commander hawthorne action figure instead of the buzz lightyear action figure absolutely same same. absolutely (laughs) actually i would be buying the uh what was the name of taika watiti's character the one who kept pulling the surrender string oh he was funny (laughs) (laughs) i would be buying that one yeah with like the surrender string you could pull and it would blow up and then You'd have to wait 10 minutes for it to deflate, and that part of the toy would break immediately, and then it would be useless. So thoughts on the look of the movie? It's been a long time since uh, the first Toy Story and computer-generated animation was in its infancy. How do you think they did? I mean, it looks good, as all Pixar properties do. We've talked a little bit in the past about how Pixar's jam used to be conquering the next big technological challenge in animation. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned, Pixar or Toy Story was the first full-length, fully computer-animated feature. And then they went on to seemingly purposefully tackle really difficult things like water and finding Nemo, the complexities with fur in Monsters, Inc., hair in Brave. There was a lot to be made about the intricacies with making hair. And in later movies, I feel like they have abandoned that quest for technological innovation with a quest for conceptual innovation like sure tackling as we said these really big issues and I kind of miss just being wowed by something new that I've seen them do on screen how about you what did you think of the look I liked it I am here for any kind of a space travel movie I liked the spaceships I liked the the scenes when they're outside of the planet traveling in space I thought it was very well done All right. Well, you're probably right because people say these Pixar things are good. So I guess. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about the writing? This is a cartoon movie without any music. It's not a musical, I guess I should say. And that's Pixar's jam and they're good at it and people love them for it. And I can respect that. But you know, I'm never going to love an animated movie without singing as much as I love the ones with singing. There were a couple of jokey writerly bits that I quite enjoyed, like the Taika Waititi character's obsession with the pen that came in his spacesuit and the continuing callbacks to that. Mm -hmm. There are funny conversations about how you make a sandwich. I really enjoyed those. Oh, the meat sandwich. (laughs) I have that as a note also. Oh my gosh. So Libby had uh, dinner at my parents' house and they let her have a meat sandwich. Because she described it with like such enthusiasm that they were like, go for it. And what was her <laughs> verdict? Is she a meat sandwich convert? Uh, salami bread salami got two thumbs up. <laughs> I can see it working with salami because it's one of the drier deli right. meats. But like right. ham, I you can't get me on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> This was not a comedy at all, but there were some funny parts. Like somebody, 
when they're in that like quartet of space explorers and like uh, one of them is like nice job elderly convict <laughs> that, that was sure i don't that know was <laughs> that was funny i think socks was the most offered the most like comedic levity i i do prefer a comedy animated movie like a despicable me more than i enjoy <laughs> pixar forcing you to think deep thoughts <laughs> I mean, you had space explosions. Like, why did you have to go so heavy with it? Just give a little levity. Right. What did you think about the structure and the length? Okay. So roughly speaking, the plot goes like this, right? They crash land on this planet because of a mistake that Buzz makes. And like Buzz makes a series of light speed travels to try and get them off this planet. He crashes, or he lands on his last journey, and a ton of time has passed, like two generations. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially when the quote-unquote plot of the movie starts. But I seriously thought when that part ended that the movie was almost over. It was only a third of the way done. Oh, no, that's funny. What did you think? <laughs> um, I thought it was just a little bit long. It dragged a little bit in spots, but there's a lot to pack into this plot, so fine. And there were a lot of like action scenes, a lot of tense moments in the spaceship where you think that things are not going to go all right that, you know, made me want to keep watching it to find out what happened. Since you're such a fan of space movies, I'm dying to know what movie or show for grown-ups you were comparing this to, or maybe even like where you slated it in like the larger picture of space movies yeah I have several comparisons it made me think of gravity with Sandra Bullock which is such a good movie I'm um, terrified just hearing you say the title that scares me so much I know well especially when Izzy who really wants to be a space ranger is like scared of going actually to space yeah. which I think we can all relate to that okay and remember the movie Interstellar with Jessica Chastain and Matthew McConaughey yes yet another movie I was supposed to like one particular scene where they go to explore a planet it's got like very intense gravity they spend like about five minutes there struggling to get out of this like really powerful ocean wave they get back to their spaceship and the guy who's been waiting on the spaceship is like 30 years have passed and he's like old and gray. And like, it turns out that the time because of the gravity and the, like the black hole or whatever has been totally warped. That really made me think about this movie. Cause like Buzz expects to get back to the planet four minutes after he left. And it's like, so astonishing to me, the audience member that, so much time has passed. Buzz doesn't really seem too affected by <laughs> the time that he has lost, but that's like, I guess, another quibble. Um, what did you, what were you able to compare this to? We're currently watching a really great space based series in our grown ups only screen time called For All Mankind on Apple TV. Plus. Mm -hmm. They're in their third season, I believe. It's a really great show, covers like an alternative history of the American space program, and they started out in an alternative version of the 60s, and now they're in an alternative version of the 90s. 
There's a lot of space stuff. And specifically the element of space travel that is dudes and their devil-may-care egos. (laughs) That really reminded (laughs) me um, of this show, which if you are not watching, I definitely recommend. I'm adding it to my watch list right now. That sounds good. I have not heard of that show. And then less of a movie made for grown-ups, but definitely a movie about someone learning that they don't have to do it all on their own and they are actually better with a team. One of my continuing faves mentioned several times on this podcast, School of Rock. Buzz Lightyear learns to embrace his motley crew of misfits, much like Jack Black learns to embrace his motley crew of fifth graders. I don't remember what grade they're supposed to be. That's a Comparison I did not expect, but I I enjoy it and it makes sense. Well, I will just directly segue into my gritty HBO reboot casting, if you don't mind. Let's do it. Well, obviously, once I had that thought about School of Rock, I thought that Jack Black would be a great choice to play a live action Buzz Lightyear if we were inclined to take ourselves a little bit less seriously, Pixar. Mm hmm. Because I asked Kevin about it, and his first thought was, oh, obviously The Rock, which I can see going in that direction, right? He's got the strong jaw. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I thought Jack Black would be an interesting place to take it. I would be fine keeping Taika Waititi in his real person form, playing the same role that he did in the movie. Mm -hmm. For Izzy, did you watch the... uh, Amy Poehler movie Moxie. Oh, yes. Yep, I did. Okay, so the actress that plays, sorry, listeners, Amy Poehler's daughter's new best friend in that movie, Alicia Pasquale Pena. Okay. Really charismatic. So she's had these roles as like the best friend sidekick character, and I think she could use something that'll boost her into the star turn. So I would like to see her playing Izzy. And then, if you don't watch Evil on Paramount+, Plus, it is a great show. Someone who is doing particularly awesome work on that show right now is Andrea Martin, who you might remember from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Okay, so she plays the aunt in that movie who, when um, the bride-to-be says her fiancé is a vegetarian, she says, it's okay, I'll make lamb. (laughs) she's a nun she takes no nonsense from anyone and she is great I would love to see her in the elderly convict role and what I really want to do is flip the script on the whole movie and have her be the protagonist and have it be kind of a redemption arc for her yeah I like that that's a good idea I think we could do a Wilfred style socks because we talk about Wilfred quite a bit. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's been so long. Yes, please. Let's Wilfred somebody. Who would you put into that costume? Uh, we would have to go back in time, but I think the actor <laughs> that played Data as Data oh. essentially in a cat costume, but not just any cat costume. From Goonies? No, 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 no. Data on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, the robot oh, character? Okay. And he is playing socks, dressed as a cat, but his cat costume is a unitard with leg warmers, you know, just like the original Broadway cast of Cats. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I gave some serious thought to this, and I would really love to see it. Anyhow, what do you got? (laughs) 
Okay, first of all, Katie, that was a very comprehensive, gritty HBO reboot. I, I love it. <laughs> no, it's really good. I love it. I feel very lazy um, in comparison. So I would cast Phoebe Robinson in the role of Space Ranger Buzz Lightyear. She has a new uh, sitcom, I guess, on Hulu. I think I've heard of it. Have you watched it? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Awesome. I like it a lot so far. So I would cast her in that role. And then I would cast Phoebe Waller-Bridge as her Space Ranger counterpart, who is more realistic about what their future holds. And then I would cast Matthew McConaughey as Socks. He could voice Socks. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. All right. I don't think he does enough voice work. I think this is good. Yeah. That's all I had. <laughs> Not... <laughs> you mean you didn't overthink it to the nth degree? <laughs> <laughs> Not this time. Well, now tell me whether you think it was better when we were kids. We didn't have so many. I... Can I call this derivative? I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't all about long-running franchises, if that's yeah. what you mean. I guess we didn't have computer-generated animation when we were kids, because Toy Story came out when we were adolescents, um, or just on the border of adolescence. So, no, it wasn't better, because this kind of animation has gotten so much better since 1995. I hear you on the animation front, but we did have a lot of good space content, when we mm -hmm. were kids like we had star wars we were kind of like tail end of original star wars we had space balls which you know i love mm -hmm. we had et oh yeah yeah we had disney's answer to et flight of the navigator which i really enjoyed as a child so i feel like there's a lot of good space stuff out there yeah you're right here we come to it would you ever watch this alone voluntarily I would not. <laughs> no, How nor would I. Nor would I. But I think you could have guessed that. Well, 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. You watched it later without your kids. Did they give you much of a review after they watched it? They liked it a lot. They were going in with very high expectations because they had been waiting till it came out on Disney Plus to see it. Even though I offered to take them to the movie theater to see it because they were so looking forward to it. But they, they did like it. I think it's fine. I don't know if, if I can make blanket statements about whether this is good for kids based on my kids' ages because I've just raised them to like musical animated movies more than non-musical ones. Mm -hmm. So they were not super into it. Uh, they found some of the funny bits funny. There were chuckles. But the fact that it is primarily not a comedy was a strike against it for their attention spans, as was the lack of catchy music. So I just think Jay is probably an okay age for it. Kenny is too young. It wasn't actively bad for them other than being pretty violent, but the violence is usually against robots, mm -hmm. uh, which is a level of remove that you may or may not get mileage from. So mm -hmm. eh, my kids were pretty unimpressed. Ratings? Okay, so I'm going to be... I'm, okay, I'm going to try to be objective here. I think evaluating the movie on its merits instead of like what I prefer to see in a movie, I think it's like four and a half. Yeah, I really wanted to pan it because I didn't personally like it. But then I thought we just reviewed Zombies 3 and ended on a 3.5. And I can't objectively say that this is worse than Zombies 3. It, it, we are grading very different 
products. So I'll give it a four, even though I didn't care for it. We're so generous. Listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time Too. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can go to our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the social media channels like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and Gmail. And we are at My Screen Time Too. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to, and sometimes because we like to. Bye. Bye. Bye.